Welcome to the founders of Web3 series by Outlier Ventures and me, your host, Jamie Burke. Together, we're going to meet the entrepreneurs, their backers, and the leading policymakers that are shaping Web3. Together, we're going to try to define what is Web3, explore its nuances, and understand the mission and purpose that drive its founders. If you enjoy what you hear, please do subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission that is Web3. Today, I'm happy to welcome Maria Lima, co-founder of Weaver Labs. She is a Uruguayan scientist based here in the UK and a Web3 founder. Welcome, Maria. Hello, Jamie. So you're quite unique as a Web3 founder in that you have spun out of academia at King's College London, where you're working on some pretty hardcore R&D in networking and telecommunications, which isn't typical of most founders in the Web3 space. Weaver is described as building a privacy-preserving, secure, and open-source communications network, which should hopefully begin to indicate some of the relevancy towards Web3 and and the technologies that we know and love. And really, as an individual, and of course this manifests in Weaver, you are a champion of both open-source software as well as internet and communication architectures, so open architectures, as well as decentralization. You've delivered some incredibly complex projects from R&D to implementation, working at the intersection of industry, academia, and governmental agencies in incredibly sensitive areas of the communications infrastructure and, of course, our economy. And you, you do this by championing a particular approach to building ecosystems, ecosystem-based um, projects that you call collaborative creation. And I think this is such a critical skill set for Web3, all of Web3, because of its uh, decentralized nature. So I'm really looking forward to uh, having you on the show. Thank you. That's a really nice introduction. <laughs> so other reasons why I wanted to bring you on. I think when people think of Web3, They think of it in terms of cryptocurrency, decentralized finance, and equally, they think of it in in terms of, and when they think of security in that context, they think about that in terms of devices and platforms, not really the networking side, the communication side. However, there's this increasingly topical discussion around 5G and, of course, Huawei, as 5G is being rolled out around the world. And most specifically, or at least importantly to to you or I, as citizens anyway, here in the UK. But not many people realize that there is also this kind of bottom-up alternative approach enabled by technologies like blockchain. Um, And I, I guess within communications, you have also been working at this intersection of blockchain with big data, AI, robotics, and what you call user immersive applications like AR and VR. Of course, all things possible should 5G be successful. And so you're a great example of what uh, outlier we call convergence. Uh, And of course, that's why uh, we were really happy to bring you into an accelerator program we ran out of London last year. So of course, we already know each other. And as a disclaimer, we are an investor in a proud investor in in Weaver. And when you look at the applications of a lot of the technologies that you're building, uh, it really extends this concept of Web3 
uh, as I said, beyond financial services to other areas of the economy. So healthcare, manufacturing, transport, culture, and entertainment. So to give the audience an introduction to you and your background, uh, you initially studied at the Polytechnic University of Catalonia, uh, where you did internship in mobile communications research around 2009. There's a lot of anachronisms in here that we, we, we probably want to avoid. I think one we might have to, uh, to just very quickly unpack because it's consistent through, through a few of these is LTE, interface coordination. But you've really been working at system level research and looking at how you optimize different types of networks, and I believe there you were involved in the Furious Spanish project with, with several different partners. What the hell's LTE? Give, give me a layman example. Or is that just not possible? Is it too complex? It, it's the long-term evolution. It's the standard that it's behind 4G communication systems. Perfect. That was really easy. Okay, let's hope the rest are, are that easy. So then you went on to become a research engineer at Wireless Communications and Technologies, uh, Ycom Tech from uh, 2010-2015, again uh, in Barcelona, Spain. And you were looking at LTE system level research and mobile communications in particular around downlink and uplink. And again, looking at how you optimize those in areas such as energy efficiency and what have you. You then joined King's College London as a research associate in 2015, where you led, were you the lead researcher for the 5G tactile internet project funded by Ericsson. Of course, Ericsson is one of those entities that's being championed, at least by the US and, and some players within Europe as an alternative to Huawei in the context of 5G. So, of course, you were leading a lot of that initiative there. And within that role, I guess this is where you began to increasingly work with a wider variety of different industry partners and stakeholders, including you know, industrial collaborations and thinking about how you do the architectural design and evaluation of um, 5G procedures. So modeling, analysis, simulation, uh, and optimization. You then, again, within King's College, became a technical lead and project manager for the 5G UK testbed in London, which was funded by the UK government and a number of industry partners. And you led technical activities at the 5G lab, which is a multidisciplinary uh, development and implementation team. Um, and uh, again, there are lots of anachronisms, 3GPP, NFV, SDN technology integrations, we're definitely not going to go into those. But ultimately, you were involved in all aspects of that. So that was negotiations with suppliers, the procurement process, board-facing interactions with government representatives, and working across all the different vendors, uh, cloud operators, and stuff like that. That then led you to spin out with some of that, that, those, those team members to co-found Weaver Labs in December uh, 19. And uh, it was there really that you kind of had this vision for an alternative approach. So kind of using that as a segue into some of the many different interesting topics that we can talk about. What was it throughout all of that that led you to the conclusion that there was something missing or something uh, broken from, uh, I guess, uh, both how these 
approaches that were being put forward, I guess there's a kind of technical component to that. And there's also like a, a, a systems design or a kind of a, an ecosystem aspect to that. What was wrong? What wasn't working? And, and where did these insights come about throughout your journey from Catalonia Polytechnic all the way uh, through to the more recent work with the 5G testbed? So I think that all, all my research and all the work that I have been doing um, in, in the last, I don't know how many years of, of um, working in, in the space of telecoms um, created a sense of curiosity on, on innovation and, and how to apply technical solutions to solve real life problems. And while working in the 5G lab, I, I encountered many, many uh, business problems and real life problems that could be solved uh, with communications networks and technologies. And that gives you a way of, of thinking and, and creating and innovating in, in everyday's lives and, and also in, in, a, in different industries. But when I started the project, the Testbed and Trials project with, with GCMS and working with the team, I had no idea what decentralization was. I was very much immersed into this world of centralized entities that control communications networks. And the most I could know about decentralization was the, the concept of peer-to-peer -peer networks. That was something that was in my space of research sometime around the year 2000 to 2005, but it was a dead topic in research. If you wrote a paper about peer-to-peer -peer networks, you probably wouldn't be very successful in publishing it because they would say that was old research. But all of a sudden with, um, with the, the new team members that that we brought in, um, and 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 that was the first person I hired at Kings for the five G test, but was was Anthony, um, my co-founder. He's he's has been in the space of decentralization, Bitcoin a long time, and and he was the one who introduced me to to Bitcoin, decentralized technologies, distributed ledgers, and then. I asked him to clone himself and then he brought in James. And that was really funny because then it, they had studied together maths and the two of them, they had been working together for a long time inside projects uh, involving cryptocurrencies and decentralized technologies. And, and, I, and again, that nurtured a lot the, the curiosity. And then with, with a bit of time, then Alex came in again. He was also coming from the Bitcoin and mining and, and building applications on top of blockchain infrastructures. So I guess we are weaver because we have weaved uh, technology coming from the telecoms world into the decentralized space. And we have met a point where we... The problems that we saw uh, when we were delivering the 5G test that could be addressed with decentralization of telecommunications assets. Those problems essentially were that it was impossible to integrate networks without the control of a system integrator. And a system integrator essentially is its company or a team that develops software to make different elements of a network talk to each other. And the way that you can solve this problem is by two ways. Either you go and you buy a tightly bundled solution from one equipment vendor and you make sure that you don't have to touch it and it works. But then if you want to be creative and you want to integrate different aspects of technology into this network, then you need to develop resources within your team to integrate all these assets together. So 
there is a centralized component on integration right here. And, and there is where my co-founders saw where decentralization could play a really important role in, in telecoms assets. And then together we, we came up with, with what Weaver now is, which is a software that allows to automate system integration in telecommunications networks. Great. So we're definitely going to get into breaking that down a little bit later. So maybe people coming in cold to communications and telecommunications and networking. As I said, this is not an often discussed topic in the context of Web3. Could you give us a primer on the world of communications and in particular 5G? You know, why is 5G different And I guess, why does 5G make decentralization a more important topic? First, we may need to draw the importance on why communications infrastructure is important. A lot of people tend to forget that telecommunications infrastructure is the pipes where all the information is transmitted. If we want successful economies, we need strong communications infrastructure. Wireless does not only power the telecoms industry, it powers the entire economy. And it's important that the infrastructure strategy and investment is done with a mindset that it's not only to put the success of the equipment vendors or the telco operators, but economies and societies as a whole. So we have problems right now that exist even in the UK, which is called the digital divide, and our people, our families that are that have no access to reliable communications infrastructure. And the problem is because we deploy communications infrastructure based on commercially centralized decisions. Is it profitable for me as a mobile network operator to go and deploy a network somewhere? If I don't have X amount of users, accessing this network, then it's not commercially viable for me. However, as a government and as a society as a whole, I need to have everyone connected. And and we have seen this with COVID, right? It has been really important to have everyone connected with 51% of the workforce going to work from home. And the reason 5G is, is important right now is because we have an opportunity to change the paradigm of how we build networks. And 5G is not only important because it allows industries to to scale, right? It's the low latency that we call that it's ultra fast networks. It's not the fact that we're going to transmit 10 times more bandwidth. It's the fact that now we have a way to reduce the cost of deploying networks and incentivize other players to participate in the supply chain. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. So if we think about, again, inclusion, inclusion usually in the context of Web3 means financial inclusion, but in your context, it's uh, connectivity, being connected and able to participate in the digital economy. Um, And I guess, am I right in saying that the web can only be, so we could build all this very decentralized software, but the internet or the web can only be as decentralized as the internet and the networking beneath it, right? Otherwise, you're you're kind of relying upon these centralized bottlenecks. Exactly. So the the thing is that we are building a lot of decentralized applications that run on centrally owned infrastructures and networks that are based on bilateral decision-making rather than multilateral decision-making. And and that's precisely where we have achieved a tipping point in communications infrastructure. 
5G deployments are recognized to take almost 70% of the revenues that mobile network operators are making. That is not sustainable. And mobile network operators have identified that the demand is not meeting the requirement of investment. So we need new models for new participants to come in, into the the collaboration, the collaborative approach that we need for, for infrastructure. Maybe to just kind of unpack 5G again a little bit more. You talk about there being kind of two main paradigms. There's fixed broadband and, and the mobile networks. And this kind of generational evolution from 2G to 5G. And obviously the promise is that 5G can be much quicker uh, and it can scale why is that? Is there a way is there a way that you can make that a little bit more accessible to people, who, again, who aren't that familiar with, with networking and communications? So networks, we, we can think about it in two ways. Either you have the Wi-Fi at home, right? The connection that you get, that, that's the fixed broadband generally. And then we have the mobile networks that are the ones that uh, we use with our phones, with our tablets, and usually have this SIM card that we buy from a net, mobile network operator. The approaches of building these networks are inherently different. The, the fixed networks tend to be more um, open source or, or open architectures, open platforms, um, tend to follow more um, standardization bodies that are more open. Um, like, for example, the in, they're based on packet switching, which is the internet protocol that allows this sense of plug and play. You know, I buy a Wi-Fi router. I don't care what kind of antenna it has, what vendor it is. I just I plug it in my house and it works because there is a lot of interoperability existing. And, and that's thanks to the work that standardization bodies have done and, and a lot of the industry together. Then we have mobile networks and mobile networks is, is what the economists call them, the bellheads. And that's basically driven and championed by the, the bell industries in the US were proprietary and, and closed and circuit switch network, which means it's not decentralized in nature, is more uh, centralized in the way that I route the traffic across a, a, a certain path and very much owned and, and proprietary the technology. So these mobile networks have evolved from 1G, 2G, 3G, 4G, 5G. And now in 5G, uh, we have the opportunity to have a paradigm that it's a lot more similar to what fixed networks do in terms of interoperability. And the reason being is because now everything can run in cheap software and uh, cheap hardware, sorry, and be controlled by software. So it means that we don't longer need these boxes that we don't understand what it's running inside and, and everything can be commoditized from the hardware perspective. And then we get pieces of software that makes the network more intelligent. So by working on the software side, we can empower in interoperability in the network. So is it fair to say that that scales kind of horizontally um, versus kind of vertically? Correct. Yeah. So mobile networks and telecommunications in general, they have a tendency to be vertically integrated and not only from, from the infrastructure, but also from, from the application and, and down. And now there is a strong discussion in the community about open architectures for horizontal integration of networks. And that is where we can actually see the change with 5G, because all of a sudden, 
with software, you can do a lot more. I guess this is why now this topic is very in vogue. or It's kind of being discussed both within large organizations in an enterprise environment, but I guess from a media coverage perspective, it's much more in a, in a public context, you know, how governments are choosing to realize 5G in a national regional context. Um, so what are the different strategies that are being adopted by different uh, corporations and governments and, and, and why are they in the spotlight right now? There is a strong discussion right now around uh, 5G and, and geopolitics and, and how it affects not only the, 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 the economy, but, but political decisions at the same time, right? And, and this is just my thinking and, and my own reflection on the whole story. It's a security issue at the same time. Uh, there is a risk on depending on just one equipment vendor. And this narrative has to be translated not only to a particular equipment vendor that it's Huawei, but to any other. The dependency on just one is bad. And we as company owners, we know that. We, we have multiple suppliers, we have multiple customers, right? Because we know that there is a risk on having just one. So that is where, where I think the narrative needs to be placed. We need to diversify the supply chain not only because there is a risk of giving too much power to one company and having a monopoly that it's not only geographically concentrated in a country, but globally, which I think it's, it's a high risk, but also because it nurtures innovation and it and increases competition in an industry that needs it a lot. And in terms of the strategies that, that we are seeing, mainly they are twofold. One is the, the Rakuten model that it's called now, which is Rakuten is a Japanese e-commerce platform. And they have shown the world how we can create networks fully cloud-based and using multiple vendor equipment, making it interoperable. They could do that because they spend significant effort in integrating assets and developing software that allowed all these vendor equipment to talk to each other. And championing this idea of horizontal integration, we see that there is a large part of the industry that's getting into that, which is Microsoft acquiring MetaSwitch and, and other telco companies, Facebook leading the Telecom Infra project, which is an open initiative with more than 500 companies telco companies working together for open standards and open interfaces to create interoperable networks and open source uh, groups such as the Open Networking Foundation, part of the Linux Foundation, who are basically backed by the industry. So most of the biggest telco operators contribute there and they are releasing all these software stacks that were proprietary in, in the past. So we see a lot of innovation happening there and and it's growing quite fast but then on the other hand we still see that there is a trust component that it's being placed into the large equipment vendors essentially because communications networks need to work and it's okay to innovate but at some point we need to make money out of it so then we will go to the one that has been doing this for the last 30 years and make sure that it works 
So there, we see still all these big contracts being signed by uh, mobile network operators with large equipment vendors for 5G. But what we are seeing is that that is probably going to end quite soon. And the more innovative approach and the, the open architecture is the one that it's going to win, but for pure commercial reasons. It's because it's cheaper and it's faster and it can scale. Great. So, I mean, I guess when you're looking at governmental level, there's the short-term thinking that's creeping in about being able to make policy announcements and hit connectivity targets, which is creating the short-term thinking to go with the usual subjects, the, the, the usual vendors, rather than what sounds like the long-term direction of the industry. So you've done a really good job of articulating the, the kind of importance around diversifying that supply chain, but you also talk about densifying. Could you talk about that and, and why it's as important as diversification in networks and supply chains? So in terms of the the number of equipment vendors that, that we have uh, controlling communication systems, right now, I think four control over 98% of the networks in the world, right? So we need more of those. We need smaller and larger and put their heads against each other so that innovation spuns up and and we have more options to go out and, and decide for. And this is a concept that it's not me talking about it. It's, it's the UK government who's putting that term densification of the supply chain. The Department of Digital, DCMS and, and Ofcom are working together on this part because they see that it's necessary to bring more innovation, first of all, to drive costs down, second of all, to reduce dependency on, on these large number of equipment vendors. And that's the densification side. We need more of what already exists. And then the diversification part, it means that we need new players that contribute with infrastructure. We know that now there is no case for infrastructure investment for mobile network operators, given the current state of revenues and the uncertainty on how 5G is going to, to be used. So the diversification means that more players need to come in into this supply chain and build networks. And, and there is where we come in. We say, yes, you can do that. You can, as a public authority, you can deploy your network and offer it to mobile network operators to, to use it. And that's not new, actually. We have seen how neutral hosts have existed. Fiber networks exist in, in that way, right? I mean, there are companies like City Fiber, Community Fiber, they deploy fiber and they offer these assets to operators to use them, right? And in a sense, the diversification means that more players need to come in and invest in infrastructure. Great. And so what is the new approach that you're advocating for at Weaver? It's what we call the marketplace of connectivity assets. And essentially is that given this situation that we have been discussing, that it's, we need diversification and densification, and there is still a big problem of integration of, of all these assets. What we do is we create the software layer that basically um, enables 
a marketplace of, of connectivity assets, right? So we need together all these different components, all these new players contributing with islands of infrastructure, and as well this interoperability across multiple equipment vendor and technologies together into a pool of assets. And then on the demand side sits the service provider who taps into this marketplace and access the network as a service. Um, with decoupling the, 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 the ownership of the infrastructure with the service being provisioned, right? So that's our approach to connectivity. It's completely detach yourself from the whoever is investing in infrastructure, from whoever is providing a service, and find a common place where all these assets can be integrated and used by service providers to expand the reach of their networks. In that context, uh, how how do you leverage blockchain technologies? And I know you've also been considering the role of tokenization, presumably to help kind of coordinate this network. But could you talk talk us through how you're leveraging blockchain, the kind of implementations that you're looking at and role of tokenization? So in terms of the blockchain component, it plays a role of a governance entity in, in the network, right? We create this marketplace of connectivity assets, but me as someone that wants to access resources from another network, I don't have to trust you. I don't have to even know you. I just need to make sure that what you contribute to the network, it's, it's validated and that there is a certain level of assurances that I can access it, and that then there is the finality of payment of the access of, of that asset, right? There is a reputation angle to it, and, and, and there will be multiple angles to it. For us, the blockchain layer is something that needs to be built after we get into, we pass the trials phase, because as you well said, and then pointed out at the beginning of this conversation, is that we are a very unique Web3 project. We are using a technology to solve a problem that exists in a wider technological uh, ecosystem. There are multiple actors that influence this network. And if our prime objective is to swap this bilateral decision-making to multilateral decision-making using a blockchain as a governance layer, we have to understand very well how this decision-making plays a role within the peer-to-peer -peer network. So that's something that the technical team decided to do very early on um, on, on the project. And, and I fully uh, think it, it was the right decision. And it's to understand that blockchain will play a role, but not settle for a technology from the very beginning and start from the ground up and build a strong peer-to-peer -peer layer and then go up. What we do understand is that a decentralized governance that incentivizes good approaches in the network is important because communications infrastructures are very need to be very reliable and that reliability needs to be linked to trust model in the network. Yeah, and you know we're seeing this increasingly more and obviously this is something that we do champion at the accelerator is that these kind of technical decisions once you start hard coding decisions around governance, you really want to be sure that you've kind of validated some of those assumptions. Otherwise, you're building a very kind of fragile network that will, will break at some point. So the approach that you're taking, which is to kind of you put in place uh, large-scale test environments, 
with these stakeholders, understand how the system functions, and then look at how you can deploy blockchain-like technologies in order to optimize them, better coordinate them is, um, I think, the right approach. Now, you are, whilst you're an early stage startup, and uh, as you've just alluded to, the kind of technology roadmap is, if you look at it in the context of its overall life cycle, still in its infancy, although I know you've built a hell of a lot of technology already, you have begun a number of what you call test beds, both with regional public authorities in the UK, but also the European Space Agency. Could you talk us through those projects, what's involved and the kind of stages that they're at? So in terms of how we organize the pilots and the work that we are going to do in the next year and a half, two years, we have a strong link between the technical development and, and the commercial and, and how the, the ecosystem is, is evolving. It's really important that we stay grounded in what the industry will need. And an example of that is that while the, the, the team was working on the need of this um, messaging system to interconnect and, and make communication across different types of infrastructure and technologies. We worked on a project, uh, on a Kickstarter project for the European Space Agency together with Data Alakum, you know very well, and Aurora Tech, which is a startup working on the space industry. And we used the very first proof of concept of the messaging system called WireMQ to route messages across an IoT network and use a satellite link as a, as a gateway to send messages. The product for this is developed and created by Datarella and it's a track and trust, um, sorry, the, it's named track and trust and it's for supply chain management in humanitarian cases. And now we are applying for further funding to move this into a larger demonstration project where we create Lightwire MQ, which is the use of the, the application of the messaging system for hardware constrained devices, which means IoT devices and, and satellite transmitters. In the same line, for large infrastructure management and for the precisely creating the marketplace of communications, we engage very much with the private and the public sector within the UK. First of all, because the public sector has vested interest in understanding which technologies and what kind of innovation is being done in the space to facilitate that strategy to be realized. And on the other hand, the, the private sector can benefit from solutions like ours. So we engage with public authorities to explain them that there is an alternative to engaging with a mobile network operator to deploy a network, but that they can do this infrastructure investment on their own and cover some of their needs as a public authority uh, by using the network for public services, by ensuring that all these economical and societal benefits of having the, the citizens connected are met, and then provide a viable return on investment with this infrastructure by validating the concept of, of the marketplace together with them. And another angle that we're looking at uh, from the commercial perspective is the use of our platform to streamline a network in a box concept. And what this means is that anyone that wants to deploy a network can use this platform as the glue. And by going to an equipment vendor and connecting it to the network and, and using it as a plug and play. And that's something we have recently partnered with a company in Germany 
to together create what we call these 5G out-of-box solution where it's streamlined for verticals to be able to deploy these, these networks. And so, you know, when you're talking to all these different stakeholders from the European Space Agency down to a regional public authority, obviously there is going to be a gulf in understanding of technology. So is blockchain a point of friction if you start to try to explain the underlying technologies that make this possible? Do you abstract that away in certain conversations? You know, are, are you perceived as a blockchain company or a Web3 company? Or how do you approach that go-to-market and communicating with different levels of sophistication with stakeholders and customers? That's an interesting question. Um, I think that from, from my time at, at the lab and, and working with industries, um, it, it was always, I had to change the way I formulated my, my narrative with people. I remember once asking an actor, how much latency do you tolerate? And he looked at me and he was like, what are you talking about? Like, what is latency? I'm like, yeah, milliseconds. And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> so I, I learned that it's important to talk about problems and solutions instead of features at the same time, right? So blockchain is just a way of solving a problem. And the way we talk with the stakeholders is about how we solve their problems and their headaches. And we might not get into the technical intricates of it ever. We would just offer a solution to whatever the, the problem that exists in the wide range of stakeholder engagement, right? A central government has a different problem than a local authority and a private entity has a different problem than another one. So it, it's about not talking about features, but talking about solutions. Great. Um, Maria, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Really good to hear your progress. I can say, you know, during the Accelerator program, you and the team were a pleasure to work with. And I think an outlier, we're really excited to see people and propositions like you guys coming to market, leveraging this technology and applying it to you know, really important societal problems, but in a way uh, making it more accessible as we were just talking to, to, to a wider number of different stakeholders. So thank you for coming on and good luck with the next steps. Thank you. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3. Thank you.